imagine an atmosphere where all hearts are abandoned to him. say nothing but you, nothing but you, Jesus. Presence. Presence is what we long for. You have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Again, reading in verse 9. Really want to read Ephesians 1 through 6, all six chapters. <laughs> but we're going to do Ephesians 3, chapter 9. I mean, chapter 3, verse 9. Um, still just building on this foundation. Um, you know, Paul in this passage, he basically says the same thing. He's not going to steer away from it, but constantly build on it. Um, and so that's what we want to continue to do today as we're not um, focusing on church culture. You notice that when you walked in? You never know what you're going to get. We're, we are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get when you walk in. Um, and you never know what you're going to get with us. However, we do know the Holy Spirit is going to be in tune and He is going to be in sync um, just because Brent had no idea, he doesn't know what I'm going to talk about because usually I don't know what I'm going to talk about until that morning. So um, I wrote most of this down at 6.45 this morning and um, wrote a couple of notes on the way to uh, Jackson, Mississippi yesterday, um, but then put my final thoughts on it this morning. But um, his opening went right along what we're going to talk about today. So. As always, Holy Spirit just guides and moves and just weaves it all together. So Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 9. My passion, Paul says, is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until when? Now. Now. And kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse, what? Wisdom. Revealed through the, what? Church. Wisdom revealed through the church. Verse 11. This perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. My dear friends, I pray that you will remain strong and not be discouraged or ashamed by all that I suffer on your behalf for it is for your glory. So, what did we talk about last week? Wisdom. wisdom. Thank you, Eli. Wisdom. And what does wisdom look like? Not, not the world's wisdom. God's wisdom. How does it look? Is it different than the world's wisdom? Yes. Very different than the world's wisdom. What did we talk about last week? Who is wisdom? Jesus. Remember, we looked at Solomon and it said, no other king will be like you while you're on this earth, blah, blah, blah. And we looked at how, how wise he was. But we looked at wisdom being something about us, though. 
and about the Father. Remember? Yeah. It is a hearing heart. I know we slept since last week, right? But it is a what? Hearing heart. Solomon said, give me a hearing heart. He said, okay, I'll give you wisdom. And what is and who is wisdom? It is Jesus, right? He was there from the very beginning. Wisdom. Jesus is wisdom, right? And so who is in us? We finally concluded last week as we were concluding up. Who, who is in us? Jesus. And whose mind do we, have we been given? Jesus is mine, right? He says, Holy Spirit, search the deep things of God. Then it reveals them to our spirit and makes them known to us, giving us a hearing heart. So for every situation in life, we have a hearing heart. Now, whether we use that hearing heart, whether we listen and abide to that hearing heart is totally different thing, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from you, you can produce what? Nothing, no fruit. Right? So being connected to Jesus is connected to wisdom, which gives us the answers to the world. How many situations did you go into this week? Anybody go into a situation this week that you were like, man, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know how to fix this. Right? So like for us guys, we're fixers. Right? Now, before I say that, ladies, I know you have a list for us to do, and we have not completed that list yet. So... When I say we're fixers, I didn't say we get the list done in a day. However, when our wives do say, hey, I got this problem, not usually whenever she says, I need you to fix this. But when she just says, I have a problem, we go into fix-it mode and we want to fix it. And a lot of times she just wants us to what? Listen. Right? There's a good video on that. I'll show it to you later. But there is listen. And that... And so whenever we're, we're saying we want to listen, we, we want to fix the problem. A lot of situations in life right now are situations that we've never faced in a society. And so we're listening to the problems, but we don't know how to fix it. But we should. Because why? Who's in you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why He's the hope of glory. He has given you wisdom to what? Have a hearing heart to have an answer in season and out of season. So, my question is, do we listen? <laughs> According to this passage today, what does this passage say about God? We're in that access place, right? Don't just say, oh, well, I got it, but never use it. How many of you could honestly raise your hand this morning and say, I've been in that realm? I use that rim on a day-to-day basis. I go in, pressing in, because I believe that's really where I am. If Jesus says that's where I am, then that's where I am. Or do we just ignore it and go on about our day and say, man, there's some more problems in life, and I still don't have answers. You see, just because you have access doesn't mean you're going to use it. Just because you got $1,000 in the bank doesn't mean you spend it. You actually have to take something and use it, right? Whether it's your debit card, a checkbook, or take with a withdrawal out of it, you can't spend that money if you just ignore and say, I got it, and man, my children are starving and they're hungry. I wish I had something to give them. You do. You have access to that place. All you got to do is just cash in on it. 
But a lot of times it was what we're doing with the spiritual realm. We have access, but we are not going in and pressing in. So on a again, focusing on last week, and I'm gonna kind of build from that, but we talked about wisdom, and in this verse, in verse 10, in some of your passages, some of your translations, it calls it the manifold wisdom. You see that? Some of your translations, it calls it the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold wisdom means multicolored. When you think of multicolored in the Bible, anything come, come, come to your mind? Who? Yeah. Joseph's coat of many colors, right? And so whenever you think about that, Joseph's coat of many colors meant the beauty of his father's favor on him. Think about that. The beauty of the father's favor on him. So that everybody could what? See it. The manifold wisdom of God is his beautiful array of the father's favor on you so that you can walk in wisdom that everyone sees it. And everyone gets to experience it, right? So wisdom for us carries that beauty of its source, just like that coat carries its beauty of that source. We carry that source while displaying our Father's favor towards us. So as He's displaying His favor towards us, we get to display His wisdom. It's not our wisdom. And what happened with Solomon last week whenever he displayed his wisdom? Did people just say, oh, uh, yeah, he ain't smart? No, people came from all over, including the Queen of Sheba was like, I got to see this, right? Because it was different. It was a different kind of wisdom, right? Now, look at what he says about what happens when we are displaying this, right? If it is the manifold wisdom of God in verse 10, and then he says it was intended by the church to reveal that, which is what we decided is, it is the beauty of the Father's favor on our lives, and we display that everywhere we go. Now look at how we use this wisdom. We didn't read this earlier, but now go to verse 14. So Paul says, Now I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. And I pray that, look at this, would unveil within you. The unlimited riches of his glory and favor until what? Supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Like he's wanting something to explode within you. Why? Just so you can have a party inside? No. So that it does what? It comes out of you. What is in you is going to be released out of you. Right? As a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes, right? Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He's wanting that thing to burst up on the inside of you until it goes forth everywhere you go. Then he says, then, after this, then by constantly using your faith, that means you believe what the word says. Like, as I said earlier, you can take this and just say, oh, I got it. But to access it is a different story. To believe that you have what it says you have. And then walk in that is a display of belief. You see what I'm saying? So he says, then be constantly using your faith. Meaning, James says, show me your faith without action. It's dead, brother. It has to have some action to back that faith up. 
And then he says, the life of Christ. The who? The who? The life of who? Not the life of Brent. Not the life of Grace. Not the, the life of Miss Wanda. Not the life of Aaron. But the life of Christ will do what? Will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. That means he's going to be living out of you. Why does it say at rest? Because you're going to have to let this thing right here not override your spiritual realm, your spirit man. Like we say, your mind is a good tool, but it is not, it is not a good master. Okay? The mind is a good tool, but it's not a good master. So we have to submit this so that he is released out of us. Then, he says, he keeps up on every one of these paragraphs. See, he starts with then. So it's a step. It's a step by step, right? Once this happens, then this happens. Once this happens, then this happens. And then he goes on. Then, so what's next? You will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of astonishing love in Christ in all its dimensions, meaning not withholding not one dimension. How many dimensions does he have? Just in the Old Testament alone, by the way, the Bible itself calls it an inferior covenant. In the Old Testament alone, look at those prophets to what they experienced in the spiritual realm before they were able to proclaim what they saw. That was a different dimension than the dimension you see in the natural. Correct? Everybody see that? That was a different dimension. Do you see the New Testament believers also experiencing some different dimensions? Yes. They had angels walk up into the prison rooms with them and release them. And then halfway out of the prison, it's like, oh, this ain't a dream. I thought I was dreaming because <laughs> I was in a whole different realm. Right? John says, and, and I was caught up into the Lord, into his presence on the Lord's day. A different realm. So he's taking you to a different atmosphere, a different dimension. Those are some of the ones that we know. But he says, I take you from glory to glory to glory. Meaning we should have never stopped with the old and then the beginning of the New Testament. But it was supposed to continue from glory to glory to glory. And there has been a remnant since the very beginning that has continued to do that. But we have not on, got on board because we've allowed a religion to stuff it and cover it. And say, nope, too much. Can't do that. Not here. Right? So, look at this. The great magnitude, astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love, how enduring and inclusive it is. What is that key word there? Inclusive. What does inclusive mean? Huh? Nothing, nothing is with hell. Nothing's with hell. You are included. Right? So if you are included in Christ and you are included in all these dimensions, if you're not experiencing that, is it because He left you out? 
or is it just because you choosing not to go? Which one? Answer. You. Yeah, you choosing not to go. It's up to you. Like, Jesus, Holy Spirit is the, is the biggest gentleman there ever is. Meaning He's not going to override you, right? Some, a lot of times we, we want to come into a meeting, right? And if we get real charismatic and we want to be slain in the Spirit, right? We just all of a sudden, if He want to do it, He can just do it while we're sitting there with our arms crossed. If I'm supposed to pray in the Spirit and pray in tongues... Well, if he wants to do it, he can just overtake me right now and do it. No, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You see, he invites you. He has an invitation for you, but he will not make you. It is an invitation. You are already included, but whether you choose to go into that place is up to you. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. Meaning, again, you have to shut this off, right? Because it wants to override. it. Because since the time that you come out of the womb, your brain has been training according to the world's standards and according to the world's ways of thinking. That has been your tutor Paul says, that has been your thinker this whole time, right? So he says, it's beyond your understanding because you're still thinking in a different way. So your understanding has to come into a new concept. It has to come into a new lens of how you see, right? You can no longer see the way the world sees. You have to see with the eyes of Christ. To see with the eyes of Christ, you've got to understand that He's in you and that you have been given His mind, His thought process, to think like He thinks. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that He's really in us like this says? Do we? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we walk around and, and, and we'll... We'll say, well, that grace message is good. But grace was never supposed to be about just giving you a grace message so you have an excuse to sin. Grace was supposed to free you up and then empower you to be in Christ. Meaning Christ should be walking in you every day, every moment. It should be Him on display. That's what He's talking about is the manifold wisdom on display through the church should be coming out of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what He's wanting us to see. He's, he's basically throughout this whole little chapter, He's saying, I'm begging you, I'm earnestly. He's using these kind of words to say, this is so important that if you get this, the troubles of this world are not going to swallow you up when they come. Because you are going to be walking in His intimacy. You're going to be walking in His counsel. You're going to be walking in His wisdom because He's in you. And you are in Him. That's what He's wanting us to see. Go ahead. I want to, I want to kind of give an, a, a world example because you know, our houses are, were built according to what God downloaded from His kingdom to man's mind. So we build a house and He says He has a house that is of many rooms. And I know y'all, most of y'all have been in my house before. When you enter my house, you're in the living room. I was telling Bill this earlier. All right, am I going to be satisfied sitting in the living room all the time? I'm going to eventually need a bath. I'm going to need some food. I'm going to need to 
to get some rest. I've got to explore the rest of my house, which are the dimensions he's talking about here. He says, there are many dimensions of God's kingdom. So I can't just be satisfied when I went into that one dimension. Oh, I'm able to speak in tongues now. So now I'm in that dimension. I can't be satisfied with that one dimension because in order for me to operate in his kingdom, I'm going to need access. I even need to open up the drawers in those different rooms to be able to clothe myself, get the food cooked or whatever. So you're exploring the kingdom of God. His kingdom is downloaded into us just like a house. When he, when we have a picture, when he says my house is made of many rooms, he gave us the image already. The image is our house. Mm. And so when we look in our house, we've got to access the whole house. We can't leave it all untended. And so when you enter, you can't just say, I'm going to stay in that place. That's right. He's telling you, you've got to keep moving forward into the kingdom. And many of us have gotten complacent with where we are. Mm. And we can't be complacent just being in your living room. Yeah. You've got to access his, the rest of it. And here's the thing. Christ is in you, and He's trying to take you to show you His Father's house. Mm. But you are holding Him back from showing you the house of God. That's right. So you have the control of whether you're going to let Him host you in His home. Mm. Just a thought. I'm just trying to... Yeah, that's so good. Comes to mind yeah, that's we... really good. Um, and I think about whenever you're saying that, I also think about this. So a lot of us grew up in a dimension that said, all this is, is you say this simple prayer, we believe you got born again, and then you're going to get to go to heaven one day. Now sit on this pew week after week, and this be a good boy and a good little girl until we go to heaven. And that was your assignment. That was your one dimension, Right? And he's saying, I have so much for it. If that was all there was to Christianity, that was all there was that Jesus came to do for us, then once we said, I do to Jesus, then he would just take us on up and die right then. Because there would be no other need for us to be here. Yet we are still here. So why? He has taken you from glory to glory into more dimensions. So whenever you think you've experienced all of God, you just ask him for more because he is unlimited. Right? So at whatever level you think you are in this room, there's more. Like, you haven't seen nothing. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> you hadn't. Like, it's, it's, it's taken you. It's immeasurable, Paul say. Like, you can't measure it with our worldly thinking. He wants to take you even further. Now, verse 20, look at this. Never doubt, which is what we were talking about. We do that. We doubt this. Never doubt God's mighty power to do what? Work in you and accomplish all this that I'm talking about. All this that we're talking about, he's saying don't doubt that he can't accomplish this in you. Right? For, for some of us, it's like, well, that's, that's good for Brian and Brent, right? They're, they're up there, they're trying to lead us, so they need to be over there, they need to be doing that. No, he's saying this is for everybody. This is not just for the person that's sitting in this chair. It's not for the person that's leading worship. That is for everybody in this room. He's saying, I, that's why we say inclusive. He said inclusive because it is for everybody. This invitation is for you. He is wanting to include all of you in this room and beyond. Okay? And so to accomplish all that will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination, he will outdo them all. Now, we got some wild imaginations in this room. And he said he can outdo everybody in here. Everybody. You ain't got nothing on it. 
He will outdo them all. For His miraculous power does what? Constantly energizes you. Constantly energizes you. Now, turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5. This is also Paul. His letter to the Romans. Chapter 5, verse 17. And this is what he says to us. And I want you to see... When we're talking about this wisdom, and we're talking about all these things, just in that one little old section of Ephesians 3 that we just read, which Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are just jam-packed with so much more, but we just took a little snippet of it. I want you to listen to what he says in verse 17, though. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, who was that? The blunder of one man was Adam. Death reigned as king over humanity. It reigned, right? Constantly, everything. Bringing it down, bringing it down. But when? Now. How much more? Meaning, if we see death and decay everywhere and we keep blaming Adam and we keep blaming sin, he says here how much more? So we have no excuse. He's saying, yeah, you expect sin all over the world, but you're not expecting what Jesus did all over the world. In other words, you're saying the act of Adam was greater than the act of Jesus. You're saying that one sin of Adam and Eve was greater than the cross of Christ. That's what he's saying, not me. How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue what? Reigning as kings. Did Paul say that about us in Ephesians? that you now have free access as kings to present the manifold wisdom to the world? Continue to reign as kings where? In life. Not in the sweet by and by. Not in the time to come. In life. Enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in one and only Jesus the Messiah. Look, guys. He don't want you to beat up, be beat up every day. So we either are allowing our circumstances to speak louder than what Jesus' words are, or we just don't believe it one of the two. Does that make sense? I'm speaking to myself. Like I get discouraged at work. I get discouraged with what's going on in the world. I get discouraged when I let those things overtake my mind. But I got to remember, either his word is true, or it's not. And the only way I prove that is that I believe his word is true is according to Ephesians in that passage, and according to James, it's got to have a little action behind it. That I'm going and pressing in that I see that I am a co-laborer with Him. Right? So if He has given me the mind of Christ, if Jesus is wisdom, if He is the hearing heart in me, and I am in Him. You remember that verse we looked at last week in Proverbs? It was Proverbs chapter 8, and it said this is what wisdom looks like. If you keep reading in that Proverbs, we only read like the first five, seven verses. It keeps going. And then it talks about wisdom being there when God created the world. And he says, I was there the whole time. Whenever he said, this mountain be made, I was there. 
And then he talks about that I was dancing. Wisdom says I was dancing around as he was doing it. That's Jesus. He was dancing and singing over all the creation as Papa God was doing all that stuff. And then wisdom, Jesus is just sitting there, just overseeing it and enjoying it all, he says. But then, I want to, let me just get that. I want you to see Proverbs 8. One of the last things he says as he's closing that up, talking about Jesus. Verse, uh, let's look. Verse 30. Check this out. I was there close to the Creator's side. This is wisdom, which is Jesus. As his master artist, daily he was filled with delight in me. Papa was filled with delight. With who? Wisdom. With Jesus. Right? As I playfully rejoiced before him, I laughed and played so happy with what he had made while finding my delight in the children of men. Think about that. Papa was so in delight with Jesus. And Jesus says, and I was so in delight with what he had made. And then he clarifies who he's talking about. He wasn't just talking about the mountains and the fish and the birds of the air. He was talking about you. I loved them. You see, we don't see ourselves as Christ sees us. So we can't walk in this until we actually believe what He says. We have to see for how He sees. Okay? So let me give you this example. Let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I think Brent even mentioned this earlier this morning. About this guy. And we've talked about him before, but I just want to show you, when we're talking about this wisdom, it is a different kind of wisdom. We're always thinking, well, we've got to read a bunch of books and we've got to do this to have wisdom. It is a hearing heart. And it's seeing what God sees. It is hearing what God's saying about you, about the person in the room, about the situation in the room, right? And so in John chapter 5, very familiar passage to us, And John chapter 5 is that man who has been sick for 38 years, right? And we even watched it one time, um, one Sunday morning, I showed you on The Chosen, that episode, just to kind of give you a glimpse in your mind of kind of what's going on at that place. But in verse 1 it says, From Galilee Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Now I want you to watch how wisdom walks in the room. Jesus is wisdom. I want you to watch how he walks into the room and assess the situation. Okay? So it says, to observe one of the Jewish feasts, inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called, in Aramaic, which in some of your translations will say Bethesda. But if you read here in the Passion, it goes ahead and breaks it down, what that Greek word actually means, which is the house of loving kindness. Surrounded by five covered porches, hundreds of sick people were lying under the covered porches, the paralyzed, the blind, the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God periodically descended into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Now this is John's, John's um, letter. This is John's depiction of Jesus. Remember all this? Um, history tells us 
John wrote last, like everybody else wrote it, then John's like, all right, let me tell you the way I saw it. John's, let, John's is a little bit more intimate than all the other ones. Um, he calls his own self the beloved disciple. Also, in John's original manuscript, we don't find verse 4. Okay, very interesting. We don't find verse 4 in John's original manuscript. However, they added that later so that you would understand why these people are there waiting. So, most scholars, you know, most people don't believe, I don't believe, um, that there was actual Jesus stirring the waters or sending an angel to stir the waters. They just thought that. They created this in their mind, right? And so, again, it wasn't an original manuscript, but it's there for your understanding. Verse 5, among the many sick people lying there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. And Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be well? Now, for most people, if they heard that and they've been sitting there for that long and somebody walked up to them and said that, they would probably slap them in the face. However, the sick man answered, sir, there's no way I can get healed. For I have no one to lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up, was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. And now Jesus worked this miracle on the Sabbath. And when the Jewish leaders saw the man walking along carrying his sleeping mat, they objected and said, What are you doing carrying that? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on the Sabbath. He answered them, The man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. All right, so I want to point out a couple of things. Verse 2, the house of what? Bethesda meant what? House of loving kindness. It is His kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. It is His kindness that leads you to repentance. Metanoia, which is the word repentant, means what? To change your thinking. Right? A lot of times we say, well, it's to turn. It is after there is an action after you change the way you think, though. The changing of the way you think now changes my action to go in a different way. To see differently and now to walk in a whole different way. So His kindness, when it says leads us to repentance, it leads us to a new way of thinking so that we can walk in a different way. So it is an invitation. When His kindness is on us, just like this morning, you could feel His presence. You could feel His kindness towards you. We're singing to Him. We're talking about how much He loves us. We're talking and reflecting about His love to us and for us and how intimate we are. And in His kindness, He opens the door that says, Hey, I want you to invite you in this new direction, but first you've got to change the way you're thinking about this. That's what His kindness does to us. So His kindness is an invitation to say, Hey, come a little near and we're going a little bit different way. That's what he does to this guy. He approaches him, right? Now, when he comes up to approach him, does this man say, oh, it's Jesus. Everybody's been talking about you. Does he say that? No, he calls him sir. He doesn't even know who he is, right? Now, I want you to think about this. All these people are there. And they created, just as I said, that verse wasn't in there before, so really, was there really an angel? Probably not that really did that. They just thought that in their mind. And he has, now listen to this, for 38 years, in his mind, made up in his mind, it said, hey, this is the way I'm going to get healed. For 38 years, he believed that. 
right? He created an atmosphere. Listen, He created an atmosphere and He created in His mind, this is how I have to be healed. Don't we do that with church? We set up a model for church to say, this is how God has to move. If God doesn't move like this, then He won't move at all, right? We have to set up and look like a stage and then everybody else out here. So we threw you for a loop this morning and said we ain't doing that today. Or you got to buy a building and build a big building. Or some crazy folks making homes. We create these things in our mind and we say, this is how God moves and if we stick to the model, He'll finally move. Right? And we create these things in our mind and we'll go year after year. Or that's the, that's the, that's the church that Grandma always went to, so that's the church that i got to go to. And, and, and God moved back then, He'll move today. Don't we create all these scenarios in our mind? Well, Grandma and Grandpa were, were Pentecostal, so i got to be Pentecostal. Or Grandma and Grandpa were Baptist, so i got to be Baptist. Or we create all these denominations, we create all these models, right? And they created this model that said, this is what's got to happen, and if it doesn't happen, then I won't get my healing. Then I won't. And so much so, miss, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. So much so they created this, that when the presence of God walks in the room, He didn't see it. Presence was right beside him and he never knew it was him. Because it did not fit his agenda. It did not fit into his mind that said, this is how it has to work or it's not the Messiah. And we do that even when we're praying over people to be healed. We get these things in our mind that we pray for so-and-so. And when I said this certain word, then it worked that time. So the next time I go to so-and-so's house and pray for them, i got to do it exactly the same way. i got to make sure I do it the same way and say the same words because that was what worked. No, presence is the only thing that works. That's why he's saying he's given you a hearing heart where you can step into the situation and you can hear. But the guy did not have the Spirit of God living in him. So what should Jesus do? Jesus should get his resume out and say, look at all these people I done healed, Pat. I'm qualified. And if you'll just read this, this, uh, this resume I got right here, you'll have enough faith in a minute to come to me. Is that what he did? No, he met the man where he was. And, and, and look at what he says. In, in this version it says, do you want to be well? But do you know what the verse actually says right here? The verse actually says this. Are you convinced that you are already made whole? That's what Jesus asked the guy. Are you convinced that you are already made whole? The Greek phrase, genestea, is actually not a future tense of do you want to be healed. But it is indicating what something has already been accomplished. Meaning... I created you a certain way and this world has made you something different. And I'm wanting to know, do you see yourself the way I see you? Are you ready to see yourself the way I see you? But you don't understand. I've been like this 38 years and this is the only way I can get healed. And Jesus says, I want you to see the way I see. Are you ready to open your eyes and just see the whole situation and see yourself the way I see you? 
And whenever the guy finally says yes, he says, then pick up your mat. He didn't even address his crippledness. He didn't even address and say you're sick. He didn't address his 38 years. He just says simply this, I want you to see like I see. Are you ready to see that? And if we go back to Ephesians today and we said, Jesus is standing here today and for some of us, He's been in this room the whole time and He's been next to you tapping on the shoulder this whole morning. But for some reason, we get caught up in the way that it has to be, that it has to be no children in the room. It has to be quiet. we got to be this way. we got to be that way. And we can't listen to Jesus because we so think it has to be a different way. And He's saying, I'm right here. Will you just see the way I see? Will you just see these children the way I see these children? Will you just see this building like I see this building? It's just a tool for you to gather this morning. I don't even care about the building. I care about the people in this room. And I want them to see with the eyes that I see. I want them to see each other the way I see each other. I want them to become one with me as I am one with the Father. And he's saying, I've already made it so... I just need you to see. And for some of us, we've been walking around for 38 plus years, and some of us ain't that old yet, but some of us have been walking around our whole life with this distorted view of American Western mindset we call church that says it has to be this way or else He will not move. And He's saying, I just want you to see what I see. Are you ready? Just simply ask that question. Are you ready to see the way I see? And when he did, he was able to pick up his mat and walk free. He was able to pick up his mat and walk free. 38 years to walk free. Now notice what religion begins to do then. Religion says, you can't do that, boy. Put that mat down. Who told you you could do it? He didn't even have a name. He just said, the person that I just talked to told me, the one that freed me, the one who freed me, that's who I'm listening to. Religion's going to tell you, you can't do this, you can't do that. Religious leaders will tell you, you can't do that. You better watch those folks that don't have that steeple on that house. They don't know what they're talking about. They're a little crazy. But for most people in this room will tell you this, that when they had an encounter, it didn't matter what other people thought. And for some of you in this room, He's still wanting to encounter you. You see, this was not a one-time event. If you keep reading, it says a short time later, Jesus found the man, verse 14, at the temple, and He said to him, Look at you now. You're healed. Walk away from your sin so nothing worse will happen to you. Now, a lot of people, religions, try to use this even today. But see, Jesus reminds us this is not a one-encounter deal. He followed him up. Look at you. On encounter again. Look at you. You're looking good, boy. He takes delight in him. Just like what we just read in Proverbs 8. He's taking delight in it. Because he's finally seeing himself the way 
Jesus always saw him from the very beginning. And notice what he says. He says, walk away from your sin so that nothing, nothing worse will happen to you. So according to this passage, the only thing that Jesus addressed to be a sin was one thing. He saw himself different than what Jesus did. This wasn't for the religion to get on him and say, boy, if you go down the road, you hit your foot and you say a cuss word, something worse is going to come on you. You thought that pair, you thought that crippleness was bad? Woo, you ain't got nothing on what's going to come on you. If you, don't, if, if you mess up one time from here on out, brother, you done. That's what religion say. That's not what Jesus was saying. The only thing he addressed was the way the man saw himself. So he's telling them, if you don't change that thinking, metanoia, change your thinking, and keep seeing yourself the way I see you, then whatever this world tells you you are, it's going to make it worse. You have the ability to make it worse because this world is going to constantly tell you it's worse, 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 worse. You are worse, 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 worse. And you'll never amount to anything. The sin to avoid was not seeing himself the way Jesus saw so I ask you this morning, how do you see yourself? As Ephesians says, with the wisdom of God in you, the manifold wisdom of God, the beauty of God upon you and the favor of God upon you to display it to the world. But most of us do not believe that because we have believed the lie that says, one, we're not good enough. We never will be good enough. We're just trying to make it. We're just trying to live, pay taxes, and die. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our light in life. That's not your light in life. The light in life is to see yourself as Jesus sees you. And then come alive on the inside with Him. And be world changers. You see, I don't look across the room this morning. Jesus is not looking across the room. He's not looking at you and saying, I wish they didn't mess up this week. Even though we haven't been thinking clear about this, guess what? He's still not looking at you condemning you. He just wants you to see. He didn't condemn this guy. He just said, I just want to know. I'm here today. I just want to know if today's the day that you actually want to see what I see. Did he make him see it? Still left it up. Again, a gentleman. He leaves it up to him. And he's standing here today and asking the same thing. I see world changers. I see a guy who's making an impact on children's life even when some of the adults don't see it. I see a bright hope and a future. I see a woman after my own heart. I see children who are going to impact the educational field, the medical field, and reshape the culture around them. See, it's easy to join the news in the world and say how bad everything is. And that's what the enemy wants you to do is prophetically with your mouth to speak out condemnation to this world. And to walk into the pool of kindness, into the house of kindness, and to walk in and say, yep, y'all never getting out of here. Bye. 
My Felicia. Know what he's saying. He said, I need you with the wisdom of God. I've put myself in you so that you can walk into these places just like this and help open their eyes for them to see. But guess what, guys? You can't do that until you first see who you are. It starts with you. I said it last week. It starts with you. You have to see first before you're ever going to change the culture around you. Let's pray. God, you're so good. We thank you, Father, that you see us totally different than the way we see ourselves and the way we see other people. We thank you that you're not even really the way we think you are. I think for most of us in this room, don't even believe that you really are that good. Because if we did, our lives would look a lot different. You are good. You're good. And your love endures forever. When you think about all the things that you've been told your whole life. And see, I can think about in my own personal life, I can think about at times when I was the little short, fat kid. There will be times personally that I would come home hurt over words that were spoken at school and I would just reach down, grab the fat around my belly and squeeze it as hard as I could because I wanted to try to pinch it off if I could. Like I hated myself that much. And I thought, no one could love me this way. I'll never be liked. And yet, I heard the words, Jesus loves me, and he loves me because he has to love me, not because he finds me attractive or he finds me good enough. So I tried to live a life where I was good and never mess up. So at least my actions, because I had heard a story about David that he looks at the heart and he doesn't look at your stature, he doesn't look how big you are. He just looks at the heart. So maybe if he saw that I was good enough by doing the right thing, then I would still have his approval because there was no way my looks would get his approval. You say, well, thank God you don't deal with that anymore. It is a struggle still to this day at 40 years old to look in the mirror and not say, and hear the word in my head say, you're fat and you're ugly. And you'll never be good enough. But here's the deal. 
what in my mind is I've created an atmosphere to say this is how it operates. I have to have it all together. The looks, the skill, the talent. And if I don't have all of it, I'm still not measuring up. Just to rest in His presence is a whole different thing. To really believe that what He says is true. So I created my own atmosphere that says this is the way I am. And He says, no, that is not how I see you. So I want you to think about in your own personal life the lies that you believed because they affect the rest of your life. The lies that you're believing right now are affecting the lives around you right now. You see, it never tells us anything else about those people at that pool. But there's one thing about it. There was an invitation that day that says if he can walk out, so can I. That left them with the mentality of, okay, maybe this is not the only way to get here. So I'm telling you, religion, going to church, trying to get it all together, trying to get it all right, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for you to be open and to say, I want to see myself as you see myself. And then pick up your mat and walk in this new direction or else something worse. What is something worse? Actually getting what you're thinking. So most of us think we're not good enough to get into that realm. Well, you're never going to get in that realm. It's never going to become a reality because you don't believe that it is for you. So just let him whisper that to you. Are you ready to see the way I see? Are you ready to see yourself as the way I see you? Whenever you say yes, when you answer him yes, I want you to stand with arms wide open. As a posture that says I'm opening up to you. Say, Papa, I want to see myself the way you see me. No religion, just presence. Don't miss his presence because you're looking for something else.
also is here. Burn, burn, burn within. 